whole time I thought that was your cat. I did too. Just now, I'm like, how did the cat get here? I've been thinking that was the cat the whole time, and I haven't even. That's I haven't funny. been touched. I didn't. Didn't want to make eye contact with the cat. It ends up being a hat the whole time. Don't make eye contact with our hat cat. <laughs> This is where the party ends. I can't stand here listening to you and your racist friend. I know politics for you, but I feel like a hypocrite talking to you and your racist friend. Welcome to My Racist Friend, a podcast about the messy parts of relationships that help us grow together. I'm Don Griffin. And I'm Amy McKeese. And I th- sometimes I think it'd be interesting to talk about like that tagline, like what we say about it, because uh, when when we stumbled around saying it last time, I could see it sounded like it meant something different. It did? Yeah, I think so. I think the podcast helps us grow. And we are talking about messy parts of our relationships. And what you know what the thing is, I think we're we're also saying they remain messy and it's okay to remain messy. Yeah, they don't get cleaned. Yeah. The the goal isn't the goal isn't to try to itemize everything in relationships. Embrace the mess. Embrace embrace <laughs> the mess and we all have it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch Saturday Night Live yet? I haven't yet. <laughs> uh I, wait, I saw I saw the news part a little oh, bit. Oh, we of the haven't news. seen that yet, but we watched the cold open, uh-huh. which is all the presidential candidates doing a LGD, LGBT yeah plus yeah um, town hall, uh-huh. and um, and one of the lines that really cracked me up was Pete Buttigieg saying. I think it was, there's no wrong way to be gay. Right. There's no wrong way to be gay except Ellen. Oh, this my week. God. <laughs> well, honestly, that's something that we can talk about. That's what I was thinking. Ellen and George W. Bush. Uh-huh. See, I'm, I'm even afraid to come out and say how I felt, you know? Yeah. And that was, that's a hard one because it's easy to forget kind of what an asshole George W. Bush was. Because of, of the person that we have in office right now. He makes everybody else before him look like they were incredible. Right. Totally reasonable. Yeah. 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 Like, even if they weren't awesome, they were reasonable. Yeah. I mean, they weren't tweeting our way into war. Yeah. And, I mean, but he did, I mean, we did go into a false war. Yeah. Uh, he we, got us into war, just not we, using Twitter. Yes, and then and then, I mean, just using his his influence. See, I think maybe that's the difference between him and and uh, Donald Trump. Donald Trump isn't. I wouldn't say that he's in bed with legal movers and shakers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, he's right. not. I think there's some that would want to attach themselves to him just for power, but I don't know. Yeah, but but the Bushes. There's an underlying group of folks that have been in power that that are. I mean, you don't even know what, why the Bushes are rich, you know. <laughs> That's how rich they are. Yeah. You don't even. You yeah. know, it's not Bush beans. It's not, you know, they're. <laughs> they don't own Bush they, beans. They, are no, you I, don't, sure? I, don't, I don't think they do. <laughs> uh, uh, but you you understand what I'm saying? They're they're in a an elite 
group. Yeah, there's you know. never any question whether they'll be rich. Yes. Like, at, when they bring new people into the world, those people get to grow up. With... And, and, and maybe that's it. Maybe they have the kind of uh, upbringing where they, they have been able to get away with anything they wanted without actually... I think what I'm saying is George W. Bush and his cronies have done horrible things and it could it could go on for decades and decades we could see his family and and the connections that he's had he's had yeah hurting people that are are um uh what do we call ourselves <laughs> women oh, children like, whatever marginalized, marginalized people, people. thank yeah. you thank you <laughs> uh uh but because it's part of the fabric of society they're running all that you don't see it yeah and, and so it looks like this guy is just an outstanding citizen compared to what Bush is. I mean, uh, compared, compared to, to Trump. To Trump. Maybe that's it. Because I had forgotten. I, I think there's another, la- uh, there's more to it about that part of pushing our society toward change involves having uncomfortable conversations. And traditionally, someone like... GW would be able to smile and sort of invoke manners or like the social contract to keep people from saying things to him that would be uncomfortable. Okay, so I think that's what I meant. He, like you said, yeah. he's trained to know how to act right, basically. Yeah, how to keep people from. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we are saying the same thing. We are. Yeah. I, but mine was just all over the place how I was saying it. <laughs> No, I think you were, maybe you were like putting all the pieces out there for me to pull together. I, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking out loud when I'm talking yeah. because I, what, 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 um, what's also in the back of my mind is how, because of his relationship with Michelle Obama mm-hmm. and the Obamas and mm-hmm. how they've treated each other, you know, with dignity and respect and even some type of friendship. Mm-hmm. We kind of forgot about all the stuff that happened. We forget forgot about uh, New Orleans yeah. and how that that uh, how that all panned out, and we forgot about him being on the bridge uh, with a sign in the back that said "Mission Accomplished," "Mission Accomplished," and what was the one about Brownie? He had a friend named Brownie, and he's like, "You're doing a, doing a great job, Brownie." And Brownie was in charge of uh, with what was happening in New Orleans, the flood. And he was like, good job, Brownie. Like, was it a FEMA guy? It, it, he was in charge of FEMA. Maybe that was it. It's like, you're doing a good job, Brownie. Oh. And the place was going to hell. And you had people in the, uh, uh, the dome. So we forget about those things. Just like we forget about the voodoo economics when we talk about Reagan. Like, Reagan's untouchable. Yeah. Even Democrats don't talk about, say negative things about Reagan. Yeah. And he was he was really bad to marginalize people. He prolonged the AIDS crisis for one oh thing. Oh my gosh, that's right. Yeah. So, I think I'm thinking on the Michelle Obama and GW thing. Cuz you could see that image, weren't they? Remember they passing each other candy and during and, a funeral recently? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering like there's a part of me that says, well, of course, with Michelle Obama, he already, like, 
there can't be any doubt in his mind that she thinks he's wrong on a bunch of stuff. Is there? Like, I, I don't know. I, and, I, and I'm thinking there's different roles for different people. So if I'm already one of the people who understands his language and who can talk with him mm-hmm. and not break the social contract, then in some ways it's my job to push against the social contract. Because I'm already in. I see what you're saying. And maybe, okay, I'm going to give Michelle Obama a pass. I don't think it's the same. Ellie, hanging out, uh, in, in, watching a, a, a sports game, hanging out with the, the uh, Bush is far different than the past first lady showing respect for the office. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? They yes. have to have a relationship. All of them, up until now, all of them seem to have a great, they show a united front when it comes to being past presidents, whether it's... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes after this president. Oh, I, I mean, this guy, he doesn't stay within social norms. Right, he has, and I think that's part of what's appealing about him, and that's part of what... Um, in RCT, we talk about, you know, authenticity, and I think that his behavior gets mislabeled as authenticity, and that's mm-hmm. part of why he's popular. Because even though you and I don't like him, and there's lots of people around that don't like him, he still has a following. Like, he still fills places up. Because he's parody. I think he's figured out who his target market uh, is. If you heard his language this last time, he said they're going to take away your guns, trying to take away your jobs. And then he said, and this is the one that no one has really talked about, and they're trying to take away your history. And I'm like, holy shit. I mean, that's beyond dog whistle. Yeah. Whose history are they? Tr- whose whose history? history are we protecting? Yes, I'm like, are you? Are you? Fr-? And he's talking about. Uh, he's talking about. Uh, what, you know, part of the squad. He's talking. He's talking to these his folks. Yeah. In in uh, in in Minnesota, actually. Yeah. Uh, and he's and that and he actually said they're trying to take away your history, and I'm like, uh-huh. dude, I mean that's just. Like on on my trip, I got to listen to a book called Until We Reckon, which is about restorative justice practices, but mm-hmm. it also has, you know, a chapter on how our justice system treats black people and and how using a restorative approach is more just. And that while restorative justice has been used in racist ways, just like uh-huh. just about everything, that in recent years they have really worked to be able to see the impact race has or the impact our way of being in this society has on race too. But when was that book written? Not too long ago. That's the problem. That's the problem. Not the problem. Oh, it was talking about the, the way we view incarceration and um, and history yeah, and how we continue to say that it's useful that incarceration is useful, um, but that if we actually look at reality and at the statistics and at the results of incarceration, that basically when you go into jail, there's a very high chance that you're going to come out more violent. Sure. 
And so, like, there's no other problem in society where we would say, let's continue to do this thing that inevitably makes it worse because we like doing it. Wait, okay, so, so the reason why all this restorative justice stuff is coming up, though, now, because, yeah, that we've been talking about that for, you know, in my community, we've been talking about it for years. Yeah. You know, the three strikes, you're out policy and right. all this yeah, other stuff, right? Yeah, I talked about that. Mm -hmm. Well, that that was when there was a crack epidemic. And that's when it was hitting our communities, right? Now we've got meth. And it's hitting everyone, everyone's community. Mm -hmm. And now, they're, now, all of a sudden, they're saying, well, these folks need, they need help and restorative justice and... Blah, right, blah, well, blah, because it's affecting people. It's affecting right, white people this now. Person, this person was, uh, they've been doing it longer than that. Okay. She was writing All about right. stuff they've been doing a long time. All right, cool, cool. Was and she, I think she might have even Is she African-American? No, she's not. And she talks, but she talks about that. She's like, I'm white. These are my blind spots. And this is how I work to address them. Um, and still we have problems. And here are some of the problems we have. Like, I thought she did a, a good job of... She, she was taking a, a lead in sharing this information. And I don't know, like maybe she's in an office with women of color who mm -hmm. could have done this, but she did it instead. And in which case that'd be problematic. But I got like the impression from listening to it was more that she was the one who would be good at writing at this. Mm -hmm. And part of what she wrote about was um, their efforts to uh, to sort of include the idea nothing about us without us so like including people impacted by nothing about us without us without us oh my god do you know right. how many people could use that here in our town but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> nothing about us without us i've heard it more in like drug use prevention strategy okay. type stuff like don't don't come up with these strategies to help people struggling with uh opioid misuse if and not you don't talk to them if you're not talking to them yeah yeah, yeah. um to avoid being paternal really mm -hmm. um and also wrong <laughs> but i love that every i love that from i mean that can be applied to everything nothing about us without us yeah mm -hmm. like say uh reproductive justice <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so anyway, back to Ellen. Okay. And GW. How do you feel about it? How do you feel about Ellen? There's layers. I've had, I remember watching sort of close together Hannah Gatsby's special, Nanette, Nanette, which if you haven't watched, highly recommend. And I'm sure there's, I'm sure she's been milkshake ducked by now, but I really liked that special. And then I saw Ellen's shortly after that because we were at like a we were having family thanksgiving and mm -hmm. it seemed like probably the hannah gatsby one would be a little much for a family multi-generational gathering um and so we watched the ellen one and it definitely was okay for any age mm -hmm. and it felt to me it just missed a lot like it glossed over a lot of hard things as though they're not really hard. And perhaps as a, you know, popular white woman, cisgender lesbian, 
that meets sort of all of our gender expectations around that, she can gloss over it. She's charming and funny. Yes. And successful. I know, but... But she ha- that hasn't always been the case. She worked on getting herself to that point. Do you remember? Do you you watch the Ellen? Like, yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the yeah. sitcom. Remember? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the night that 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 show aired? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about how how happy people were. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She was I like the that first. Was... Uh, I remember. I remember the uh, the bagel shop being open at night. Oh, because of that? Because of that. <laughs> That's awesome. I um, mean, we weren't in Bloomington when that happened, right? Yeah, I mean, we you're in... talking I mean, she had a very successful show. She didn't have to do she she became authentic before authenticity was cool. If you think about it. <laughs> yeah. She didn't have to do that. Mhm. She was making, you know, millions of dollars. And but once she did that, uh, heck, that that allowed her to become even more popular. That mm-hmm. allowed her to become the icon that she is. Um, I'm sure she has friends, uh, from all walks of life. So there's something that she likes about George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like I I like <laughs> I like Kanye still. <laughs> That's okay. You're I allowed. love Kanye. <laughs> I love I do. I, I hate that. I'm putting this on, on record that I'm a Kanye West fan. And he does some things that just irk me. I mean, mm-hmm. like his relationship with, with our idiot in chief right now. I mean, yeah. uh, and I think that even started out as his statement was, you know, I'm so glad that, that Trump got into office. It's the happiest day of my life, basically, because it means that I can be president one day. That's what he said. And and what happened is the next day, Trump is out there saying, oh my God, can you believe this? Uh, um, I've been endorsed. I've been endorsed by Kanye West. Hmm, I didn't realize that was how it happened. That's how it happened. And Kanye just went with it. <laughs> but the very, the, the idea is that if this idiot can become president, that opens up the door for anyone to be president. Anyone that is a entertainer, you don't have to be a lawyer. You don't have to. You, you don't have you to have, have to all, know things. You don't have to. You know, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think he was saying that. I don't. I think he was saying that he feels he, that that a person that doesn't have all the credentials and doesn't have that they can they can they too can become president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Which I guess if he had just studied Reagan, he would have seen that. <laughs> he would have known we, that we, already. We didn't know. We didn't need Trump for that. Um, but uh, I'm sorry, I got off the subject of Ellen. But I still like Ellen. I and so and I, and I'll also say that who were the two white women that stood up for her? Reese Witherspoon and another one i don't remember but they the the responses were along the lines of check your privilege you know this is the ultimate example of rich white people protecting rich white people i mean i can i can see that i mean i i can i can see that side of it but i i think we also have to be careful with painting people with broad strokes i think that's 
I think that's the problem. You know, we've seen that play out in our community, too, yeah. with this uh, sort of ridicule and um, uh, sort of aggressive conversations to shame people who don't get it into getting it. Mm-hmm. And, and I've heard from some of these people say things like, well, that worked for me. Like, I didn't get it, and someone was angry at me, and it was someone who's, you know, whose outlook I really valued. And when they were angry at me, I wanted to figure out what was wrong and fix it. So it works. I get in theory, I can understand that. I can't imagine for myself. I, it would have to be someone already really close with me mm-hmm. for that dynamic to take hold. Because I think if it's not someone really close to me, then if possible, <laughs> my defense mechanisms are going to be to tell myself they don't really understand me or... Um, you just can't reason with that person. And then I wouldn't make a whole lot of deep introspective changes unless it were like someone I had a very, an already tight relationship with. Because of that, I don't think it's productive to, you know, cancel someone because they don't get it. Even if they don't get it because they are so soaked in their own privilege that they can choose not to get it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in that case, it might even be harder. I don't know. Some people are just not going to get it. Right. And some also. people, like it could be that there's, that GW, there's a, a youth in his family somewhere who could help him get it. Well, we don't actually know his background. That's the thing. We don't know how he's changed since then. We have no idea what go what's been going on in his personal life. We have we 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 don't have any idea. We only know what we experienced. We don't know what we don't know about GW, and I don't uh, want to be in a position where I'm defending. Yeah, the, and I, the, I think you're right. I I don't want to be on the side of of uh, arguing for him. I'm just saying we have to be be careful of labeling people uh, so quickly. And, and, and like, I know that there are people that may like me and they think that I, uh, uh, because I'm this kind of, in this kind of camp and, and, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I consider myself liberal. Uh, some out there may think I'm a moderate, but that's okay too. I mean, I, I, some (laughs) people, maybe I am moderate in some respects Mm -hmm. and you know what? I may be conservative in other respects. You may be. Not You're socially. Allowed. Let's 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 clear that up. Uh, <laughs> but I'm saying if you are trying to put people in a bubble or put people in a in a box, you're going to be disappointed. You can be in that box, but let's make sure that when you color me, you can color me outside the lines. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm not going to fit in that box. Yeah. And I was thinking about like the weird connection between, um, we think it's weird, but it's really pretty natural between a back to nature, wholesome way of being that is tied up with white supremacy, Mm -hmm. like literal white supremacy, like Nazis, Nazis Mm -hmm. and how that goes together and how I think that's been hard for our community because we have this idea, well, you can't be organic and be a Nazi. Like, those two things don't go together. And I was thinking about that in terms of, of the 
the more accurate history of Evita that, well, you can't be someone who was a dictator and someone who wanted universal health care, but you can. Like, Think about Castro. Think about... Yeah. You think people mean to do well and say start off with good intentions and sometimes the good intentions... I think sometimes they have to use um, some form of denial or some kind of self-defense to uh, convince themselves that what they're doing is for the best. You know, like that it's reasonable to control women's bodies because they're protecting babies or the the sort of paternal slash assimilationist approach to racism of I'm just going to help these people focus more and be more be harder workers or um, stay out of jail like like I'm going to help them by telling them what to do the the RCT things that fit in here are the one true thing and that's what you were getting at a minute ago when you talked about being backed into a corner like backing someone into a corner okay because i think when you're using one true thing you're working really hard to find something to say that doesn't back the other person into a corner and it allows for them to move so i'm like wondering what one true thing would be if if I found myself in a room with GW and we were hitting it off. What's one true thing that you guys can agree on? It, yeah, sort of, mostly. Yeah, one, one true thing that we can agree on. That the Obamas are wonderful people. <laughs> Truly, yeah, we could. We, like, I mean, we both you, you really actually, like Michelle Obama. You, I mean, <laughs> and you know what? That could have been the start of Ellen's and 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 uh, GW's relationship. You never know. It, and, and, and and is she is she practicing? Uh, is she practicing what we're preaching? I don't I don't know because I don't know what the converse, conversation was like. We really if, don't, do we? If it was like a um, platitude filled, surface level friendly conversation, then no, I don't. I don't think she was because I think she has a lot of privilege at this point. Do you remember Charles Barkley back in the day saying, I'm not a, I'm not, not a, a role, role model, so stop trying to make me one. Oh, yeah. And it's like, dude, you are a role model. There are people that, if, if, even if you don't want to be, there are children that are looking at you. There are African-American children that are looking at you. There are white kids that are looking mm-hmm. at you and saying... Mm-hmm. This is who I want to be like. And you do the things that you do. So, in essence, I think Ellen has that same responsibility. Mm-hmm. Is that wrong to put that on her? No, no, I think she does have responsibility. And I, and I think, you know, there, there's one view of this you could see where she's making a connection with him and they're going to go to another game together. And at that point, she's going to say, let's talk about this now that now that we've got this connection let's talk about lgbtq but maybe she is i mean just because we saw them publicly at a game doesn't mean that they haven't been over each other's house or that they don't call or that they don't oh my god you think really that they I they mean, like you don't just phone? hey they facetime i mean i'm just saying you don't just all of a sudden say 
hey, I haven't talked to you in years. Do you want to go to a game? Well, the, but the, is that how it happened, though? It's like he didn't invite them. They they went to a fancy game, and they got to sit in the fancy people's seats, and the bushes were also sitting in the fancy seats. Is that how seats. that happened? I think so. I don't know. You know how it's wrong. How I said it's wrong for someone to uh, cherry pick our podcast mm-hmm. and look at one thing that we said and and focus oh, on that. Okay, I got Are you. we cherry picking her relationship with with George W. Are we cherry picking her life when we do that? You hear me talking on both sides, so I never think that I'm right. Are completely right. You know what I mean? You can see that it's complicated. It's extremely complicated. We want things to be easy, easy and simple. And they're not. And I don't know where we got to this place where we started thinking everything had to be evil or good or black or white. Hmm. I wonder if that division has always been here, but we've looked at it differently. Like in the 70s, I think a lot of mainstream white families still looked down on interracial dating. Oh, absolutely. And, and that was a way of, of dividing good and bad. Like black people are good as long as they don't try to get into our whiteness. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how you said that. <laughs> White people are good as long as they don't be with black people. Like, and I don't think they could see it that way, but they were yeah. like all these unspoken rules that fed into like how to be a good person that, that were racist, that created a different separation. So I wonder if part of what's happening is we've taken those off and now we're not quite sure how to decide who's good and who's not good because you you make an excellent point ellen and george w bush back in the day when she first came out would they have been sitting together he probably would have left yeah yeah so maybe part of the context is her coming through life as someone that would have been treated like a pariah. And now and she's sitting treating in treating someone else like a and pariah. And now she's sitting in some very expensive box seats with her wife. Mm-hmm. Next to the president, a past president who was a conservative president. And it's no big deal. Yeah. I was at this event, uh, the Democracy or Democracy. A democratic uh, uh, fundraising dinner. Mm-hmm. I forget what it's called. Don't hate me if anyone's listening. It was, <laughs> it, it was delicious. <laughs> uh, anyhow, they had they had three of the uh, the the three Democrats that were running for that are running for governor of Indiana mm-hmm. uh, got to speak. They spoke way too long. I hope you're all listening. 15 minutes is 15 minutes. Not 30. Not 25. Especially at the end of everything. Anyway. One guy was this guy. His name is Woody. He was in charge of of health in Indiana Mm -hmm. during the time that Ryan White 
was here. Oh, my. So there's no way he did the right thing. Is oh, there? no, it, it is. He did? Yeah, he, uh, it, it, there's, uh, on, on YouTube, it shows him, he, he had to come to people because they weren't letting him in school. Everyone I know. Was like, Remember I that? I know, yeah. And, I, and boy, you just forget, this was mm-hmm. Indiana and, and how many people had, uh, you know, you had Michael Jackson, you had, uh, uh, who's the candle in the wind dude? Elton John. Elton John. Do you remember all that? <laughs> I do. I do. Coming well, to his also rescue? the Indianapolis Children's Museum for a long time has had an interactive exhibit on the courage of children. And it was <sighs> Anne Frank, Ryan White, and Ruby Bridges. Ruby Bridges. And oh, you could man. go like sort of act like you were going through a day in their life. Uh-huh. And, and it was really powerful. All three of them. It it it, uh, I, it it snapped me back to that time because I I forgot uh-huh. how cruel people were. It was it reminded me of Little Rock. Yeah. Do you know it yeah. was Little Rock in our own time? How do you remember the I do the, remember. The, the the people yelling at the adults with signs yelling at him, telling him that you know you're gonna kill our kid. And this kid mm-hmm. just wanted to go to school, you know. Yeah. And so I guess this Woody, Woody Meyer, um, he. Uh, he was on TV with Ryan, mm-hmm. and he talked about how safe he was, and that he was just a. And he rubbed, he did the the most. Uh, he rubbed his hair. He tousled yeah. his hair, uh-huh. and I remembered that, and uh, just oh, trying wow. to show that this kid is. Um, and then uh, the school he ended up going to, they they, one kid that they came out and hugged him, you know, oh. and I yeah. just thought, there that was one of the lowest times to be. In Indiana, but then all of a sudden it was one of the, it was when we were actually at the forefront of, of change, which was mm-hmm. kind of neat. Yeah. I don't know why I got off on that subject, but we were talking about how. You were talking about being at this dinner that went too long. Yeah, but also getting back to the whole idea of Ellen sitting there with George W. Bush, how that's something that actually should be celebrated. Hmm. That, that the, that the big deal isn't. The big deal isn't, oh my God, George W. Bush was hanging out with gay people. The news is that Ellen was, was hanging out with George W. Bush. <laughs> well, and I... <laughs> That's awesome. And I do think, like, one of the things I've thought about in authenticity and in being courageous, like relational courage and advocating for change is what I think of as just living out loud, like being able to, you know, for in this case, go to a fancy place with your wife and hold hands and fully be who you are. And that 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 makes change too. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are cases where for marginalized people, that's plenty. Like doing that requires a lot of emotional labor because, you know, I imagine she's like you in that she likes everyone to be, and I'm this way too, comfortable and happy. Mm-hmm. And so she'll probably do some emotional labor while she's there to make him not feel awkward being around gay people. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is a lot of work. And you could argue that she doesn't have to do that or that she needs to be doing different work. But nonetheless, this is something she's been put in a position of having to do her entire life helping people be comfortable with who she is. And that's a lot of extra work on top of just being a human being. It is. She becomes an ambassador. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't push as hard on her as I would on, you know, this liberal friend of the Bushes and their agreement is just that they don't talk politics. Like that to me is inauthentic and cowardly a little bit. I don't want to like do it as a negative name calling thing, but... But I, I think you're right. I, I if okay, so I'm I'm trying to switch this up. So okay, it's switch me. It up. It's you. It's me. And I am going to the game. And am I going to want to sit with what kind of message does that send if I'm hanging out with George me I'm palling around with George W. Bush. I don't think it's an image that I would want to come off with, and I don't yeah. think I could do it. I don't think it'd be good for you. I, and, and not not only that, I don't think I could do it, because I do remember all that stuff, and I do remember how his his uh, folks treated marginalized people. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm sorry. So there, I'm it, I'm I'm talking from both yeah. sides here. So if you had him, if you walked into, uh. Turns out he's a huge Hoosier basketball fan, and you were going into those new fancy seats they've got, and you walk in. And George W. Bush. And is George there. W. Bush is there. Do you say anything? Is there something you could say in that moment? Well, my wife would probably be pulling me back because she knew that I would want to say something. <laughs> She's like, don't speak no, dumb. Don. <laughs> you know, he's still the president. There, there's guns all around. I mean, <laughs> the Secret Service is yeah, standing right yeah, behind yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, and I'll be like, I just want to ask him something. She's like, <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> Write him a letter, but not here. You know, I, it, it, it's, it's tough. But yeah, I wouldn't. Me, I, I no. I mean, no. Mm-hmm. So you would just leave. Oh, boy. Dagnabbit, Amy, you make me mad. You know why you make me mad? Why? Because Because <laughs> there's things that I would have done until we started talking about this, this, you know, like talking about whether or not people can be changed or not. I would have been done. I would have been like, screw this guy, you yeah. know? But now... You're making me think I need to get to know him, and that maybe and maybe he's a different person, or maybe he can be changed, or maybe he has already changed. So, what do you do with that? I would posit that you got yourself there all on your own. Does that make sense? You you feel me, right? (laughs) Because I'm making I'm 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 making judgments based on who someone used to be. Yes, I think. If you can give people the benefit of the doubt, that that's useful and in connection with holding someone's feet to the fire while giving them the benefit of the doubt. And I think you can do that. Like you can say, you know, you can smile and you can be polite and make small talk about the game. And during halftime, you can imagine that he says something that you could push back on a little bit or is is there a way that that you could represent your concerns 
and and can he can this dude help me with my concerns now? I don't I don't think he can. So then that's the other question. I don't know, man. Maybe take it off of George Bush and make it to someone more relevant, like one of the Trumps. I mean, because what the, what the price of being nice? That is a long that that could be. You know, I've gone to therapy for all that. So, <laughs> the price of being nice. The price of being sends nice. Sends you therapy. When, when it's okay not to be nice. The, the the difference between being a nice person and a good person. I mean, that's a whole chat. That's, that's oh yeah. You know, because there is a difference. You could take and for so long. Too. And I, for so long, I thought they were the, both in the same. So I pulled out five cards from the deck. Okay. About about what we've been talking about today. Uh, one true thing, and I think we covered how that fits pretty well, like being able to say something that doesn't back someone into a corner, but that is true, and and that plays into authenticity Can as well. Can you give well. me an example of that, though? So if I say to you, that thing you did was racist. Okay, so you have backed something, someone in a corner by saying Right. That. So what do you say to that person? So if you say... When you said that, I worried about black people, black people, (laughs) like, or, or when you said that, I wondered how that, like, if that became policy, how that would impact the lives. Oh, okay. So that's what you mean by one true thing. Well, when you say it like that, because I'm just a, a, just a normal person. When you say, talk to them about one true thing, it reminds me of when you're in grade school and you've gotten in a fight with someone and the you have to teacher say something says, nice. say something nice about that person. That's what I thought the one true thing was. Well, and and I, that's how that's how Dee Dee explained it, and and I think it it can be, and it can be used that way, sort of internally. Like, okay, I'm going into this conversation, and in order to bring myself into this conversation, because I'm, soup, I'm like so reactive to this person right now that I need to calm that overreactive part of me down mm-hmm. that that is effective thinking I've read advice on like when you're doing a, a loving kindness meditation and when you're doing it towards someone you can't stand mm-hmm. that you could imagine that person in a helpless situation and that that would make it easier to extend love toward them okay uh, that would mean you would have to be a nice person to even get there Right. That's almost impossible for nine out of ten people. If you hate somebody, you just are going to hate them. The phrase that I use when I'm thinking about someone that I really can't stand, it's usually a, a older male politician, but um, is I would not help them if they had a flat tire and it was snowing. Like, I wouldn't even stop. I would just let them stay there and freeze. There are people that you would do that to? I doubt it because then what if something really did happen to them? Now you've got to think about like, okay, I let, and then on the news, such and such froze on the side of the road. <laughs> and Amy McKee drove by shortly before no, that. No, you. <laughs> or I would just hear that and I'd be like, oh my God. Oh my God. What if I'd I saved his life, it. he could have changed. Um, uh, so maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. But that's the language that I use when I get really frustrated. But so, so in those cases, if I were to be able to come up with one true thing, something that sparked a feeling of compassion in me um, and connection. And, I, and really, the easiest example for me is 
being at the fair when people talk about when we had our our information board up that had facts about um, transgender bathroom use. And it was, you know, the facts about who actually sexually assaults your child and what are the real dangers in bathrooms and that basically there's there's not a danger with that. Mm-hmm. Most often, someone who was willing to engage, that's where they would start and they would say, I'm just not comfortable with, with my grandbaby being in a room with a grown man pretending to be a woman or something like that. And I could start by saying, that's not what a, that's not what transgender means. Or I could start with, if it's in the women's room, then it's not a grown man. Like then, I mean, it, it being the situation, not it being the person. But let me ask you something. It sounds like they did one of their one true things. Right. And when they so, come up to you and they say that. Right. So I can respond with what I found useful is to say, we, we all want to keep our kids safe. You know, I've got. That is one true thing. I've got little, you know, little ones and I want them to be safe. And, and then I usually use that to push in a little bit about uh, the rates of bullying against trans youth and that really this policy of using whichever bathroom matches your gender, and I'm saying that in terms of of not of biological sex assigned at birth, but like mm-hmm. of, of the gender that you know to be true actually keeps people safer mm-hmm. because there are, you know, if, if you Absolutely. see this, this young person over here that maybe looks very, very feminine and was assigned male at birth, then would they really be safer going in a boy's bathroom? Mm-hmm. Cause probably not. Mm. Um, and then, and that gives us a place that starts with one true thing. If their child is tra- transgender, yeah, all right, we're 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 still talking about their child's safety. Yeah, we don't allow them to stay as separate as they started off. Okay, like they started off in this separate place of transgender as this giant other dangerous uh-huh. group, and by saying one true thing and staying in connection while talking about the safety of transgender youth then I've managed to pull them into that concern rather than reinforce that boundary between us. It does not mean that if someone said that, I'd be like, oh, okay then. Like, yeah, because no. that's, and smile that ends, that and be is, like, oh, what a cute con- grandchild. Yeah, that, <laughs> like, ends, that's not... that ends the conversation. That's not what yeah. we want. Yeah. So condemned isolation, which is, a phrase coined by Jean Baker Miller to capture the experience of isolation and aloneness that leaves one feeling shut out of the human community. And when this happens, the person becomes immobilized about how to reconnect and instead starts using our strategies of disconnection to like maintain a superficial connection. And I think you could argue one take of this would be that Ellen was doing that. You know, that Ellen had been throughout her life has been othered and put in a shame place by mainstream society so that what she has done is developed a strategy of disconnection that involves not really connecting, but being friendly on the outside. 
as a protective mechanism. And I would say, mm-hmm. I would say a lot of people who are trailblazers, uh, they probably, they, to, to get where they're at, they, they probably do, do that mm-hmm. a lot. I would say that I, I'm probably very good at that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm a trailblazer. I'm not saying that. I've never heard of that, but that does make sense. You have to have a, th- we call it a thick skin. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have this thick skin to go into places where you're not welcome. And that's challenging because part of what helps us make change and have deeper connections is a willingness to be vulnerable. But you can't do both. It's hard to care about what people think if you're in an area where people, where, where most likely there's a large percentage of people that don't think that you belong. It's hard to, you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that, I, I, I couldn't do my job. Sometimes I, ha- I just have to say, you know what, I'm doing my job. This is what I do. And I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm going. I'm. I'm gonna go into this neighborhood. I'm gonna go into this house in Brooklyn, Indiana, which I've never heard before. And yes, I know I'm gonna get asked about something, mm-hmm. but I've got to go in here and not care. I've got to. I've got to stop in here at this gas station because I'm out of gas. Mm-hmm. I cannot worry about other people thinking what they think. I've got green here. I've got money here. I've got my card here. I'm mm-hmm. gonna get a snack here. And you know what? That pizza looks damn good. I'm hungry. I'm gonna get. A, I'm gonna get. A, I'm gonna get a slice of pizza. And you know what? I'm tired. I'm gonna go ahead and sit down. And I don't give a shit about what people think. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be really nice. Not gonna give them any reason to dislike me. But at the end of the day, if they dislike me, that's on them. Right, it doesn't matter because you're not matter, seeking. Because I don't like, care. I'm not. I'm not connection. seeking. I'm not seeking their approval. I'm going. To, I want to be nice, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll meet some nice people while I'm in there. Maybe they're gonna be. And honestly, nine times out of ten, the people are wonderful. Yeah, and you know, one thing that this sort of crystallized for me when you were talking is that Ellen's in Texas. Is she, does she live right? in Wasn't Texas? Wasn't that in Texas? Yeah, that is in Texas. And so, what? Like, I don't know the percentages of people in Texas that are currently uh, hopeful that we will have a Supreme Court that overturns marriage equality. And so in some ways, showing up with her wife and demonstrating to the world that George W. Bush likes gay people, whether he intended to do that or not, Mm -hmm. that's part of the message. That that is, and, and we need people like her. We need people... We need the bridge to to get acceptancy for other people. We need we need that. Say what you want about Cosby, okay? But the co- actual Cosby Show and the different world that normalized African Americans that were upper class or wealthy. Yeah, it did. Even for Black African Americans. You don't know how many people would tell, we watch the Cosby show and my cousins or friends would say, that's not the real world. Black people don't exist like that. Mm -hmm. That's just ridiculous. Oh, this is so stupid. And (laughs) then I go to Hampton 
and there's 5,000 kids like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I've got ambassador parents. My roommate's, you know, he, he has an ambassador for a mother. And, I mean, mm-hmm. just crazy stuff. Helicopter pads and, <laughs> you know, and everybody's black. It, so so the, that whole idea mm-hmm. that these things don't exist, I mean, I think we need to see. People need to see that. Yeah. It, it's hard for her to do both, I think. Yeah. Sort of, I, it's probably similar to what Murphy Brown meant to me when I watched it. And I'm, I've been afraid to go back and see it again because Which, I'm... A, what, tell, what happened? I don't know, but possibly a lot of times when I'm really excited about something that I enjoyed as a youth, it turns out to be like gone with the wind or something. <laughs> that Then when I look back, I'm like, oh my God. God, like, really? I didn't see any of that? And I was like, oh, this is fun. And and it's not. Like, it's horrifying. And Murphy Brown's horrifying? I don't think so, but I don't know for sure, and I don't want to find <laughs> out that it's not. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but she was a strong woman who, like, at one... She has her own kid in it, I think, right? She does. Because she wants to. Like, not because... God. She did the right thing with marrying a man and then staying, you know, home or whatever, or even getting a nanny or like the rich person version of staying home. But she did it her how she wanted, as though she wasn't encumbered by gendered expectations. Mm-hmm. And that was really inspiring to me. I loved that. I loved that show. It was a good show. Okay. Maybe I'll go back and you look at it. You should go somewhere. back. Now I'm going to go back and look at Murphy Brown. Okay. That, that's our homework. Okay. Okay. She, she was a target of Dan Quayle, though. Oh, oh yes. Oh, you're right. God, stupid Indiana. <laughs> God. God okay. bless us. I'm just going to mention one other RCT tool. Okay. It's this. And that is disruptive empathy. And this is a hard one to get. Okay. Explain. And actually, in our show notes, we should put a link to the audio of Maureen's talk on this is available online somewhere. So we should do that. But I'm going to read you the definition we have on the card, which is disruptive empathy captures the paradox of relationship and the paradox of power by both anchoring and overturning. In our communities, disruptive empathy helps us see what we prefer not to see and challenge the implicit narratives that define who can and cannot be one of us. Disruptive empathy gives us the courage to name reality as we see it and tell our multiple and conflictual truths. And if you think about this, we've talked about a lot of conflictual truths about this situation. You know, that George W. treated people horribly and is policies treated people horribly right and his policies caused unnecessary death killing yes killing and death from other from healthcare policies it could also be true that that ellen knows all of that and that ellen found something about him that she genuinely liked genuinely liked i don't know if that's true because it could also just be a strategy of disconnection. But holding both of those and insisting on holding them both, like not just tossing one aside because it feels socially awkward to mention all the killing, but like 
holding both of those. I genuinely like you and I am genuinely concerned and horrified by this behavior. Like both can be true. And finding a way to represent both would be an act of disruptive empathy. That's an advanced one. Yes. Like the first time I heard about it, Maureen spent 45 minutes explaining it. That's, so that's, 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 uh, I'm sure we can, we can stumble into that in our daily lives. We probably do. Mm-hmm. It's probably easier to do it with a uncle that's incarcerated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you understand what I'm, yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, it took me a minute, but I got there. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, I think we do it for people that we care about all the time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And sometimes to the danger of others. Like giving someone a free pass when we wouldn't. But disruptive yeah. empathy yeah, would that, involve that not uncle necessarily that you shouldn't go that. into you shouldn't be in a room by the salesman, but he's family. And you're still gonna invite him to the the barbecue or whatever. Our collective, particularly white response to sexual abuse has yep. been to determine that that's not okay to talk about. It's not a white thing. It's a everything. And we probably Everyone. do need to have a, a talk on it. Yeah. A lot of the things that we talk about, they tra transcend racial relations. A lot of, Half the yeah. time, yeah, what we're talking about isn't just about black or white. It's just about how we treat each other. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, All right. Thanks for being here today and talking about these things. These are these are hard things to talk about. It's much easier I think to just d decide it's it's right or it's wrong and like firmly grab that and hold that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've seen people on both sides doing that like no it's awful there is no world where I could forgive this behavior and no this is absolutely the thing she should have done. Anyone who says differently is just a troublemaker. And I don't think either of those is relational. Or healthy for anyone. I, I don't, I, I think we, we can't always have absolutes. Getting back to the black and white and the right is wrong. There's so many nuances mm -hmm. in, in, in our own thought processes. Yeah. You know? I like the ta the saying one of my professors told me about never saying never or always. And and the paradox of that statement. Yeah. Um because all of those pieces are true. Like rarely say them. Because when you say never in that statement it gets messed up, but but they were doing it deliberately to make you think about Mm -hmm. think about certainty and I think certainty is getting in our way a lot these days yeah and maybe it's because everything is the, the world is so topsy-turvy and it's it's yeah unmanageable so we have to hold on to things that are certain that we find certain yeah we, we need we're holding on to things to feel like we've got our balance and one thing that I've a change that I've been making slowly over the last few years is thinking about instead of holding something or holding on to something, thinking about 
being able to return to it. Hmm. So then I'm, I'm less desperate if I feel like I'm losing my footing because I know I can return to it. But if I'm holding it, then at any moment I might let go and fall down. Hmm. This episode of My Racist Friend is a production of the Bloomington Center for Connection, an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection. This conversation between Don Griffin Jr. and Amy McKeese, LCSW, was recorded on Sunday, October 13th, 2019, and edited for this podcast by Kevin McKeese. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook and other social media platforms. You and your racist friend. I hope, uh, you know, we, we know that some people listen to these and they cut out sections and <laughs> and say i can't believe don griffin believes this and, and and then i'm like did you listen to the whole thing did you listen to the whole damn podcast and then they go and listen to it, they're like oh okay okay so <laughs> this podcast can be called don likes kanye yeah or, <laughs> and gw <laughs>